the ayat of Surah Al-Kaf. And before reflecting on the ayah of Surah Al-Kaf, as is uh, customary in the, the, the discipline of tafsir, we want to look at the fadila, we want to look at the virtue of uh, reciting Surah Al-Kaf. The Prophet wasallam said that Surah Al-Kahf should be recited every Yawm Al-Jum'ah. It should be recited or listened to, at the very least, every Friday. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that this practice of reciting Surah Al-Kahf or listening to Surah Al-Kahf contained manifold benefits. The most significant of them probably are protection or is protection from the Dajjal that one who reads Surah Al-Kahf, the 18th chapter of the Qur'an, will be granted a, a special protection from the Antichrist. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that for such a person that has Iman, that is protected from the Dajjal, from the Antichrist, they will see the letters Kafara. They will see the letters which spell disbelief, which spell infidelity, which spell unfaith, clearly written on the head of the Dajjal. So this is a practice that we should habituate ourselves to, trying to read some of this great surah weekly. But then as we think about the virtue of reading Surah Al-Kaf, we have to think, what was it about this surah that the Prophet ﷺ wanted us to be in touch with regularly, right? So we want to look at it through that lens, inshallah. So right from the very beginning, God begins the surah, A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim, bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Alhamdulillahi alladhi anzala ala abdihi al-kitaba wa lam yaj'allahu iwaja. All praises for Allah, who has revealed the book to his servant, allowing no crookedness in it. You know, Shaykh al-Sha'rawi, and I had, uh, you know, uh, Muhammad Mutawalli al-Sha'rawi, the Egyptian scholar, and I had the pleasure during my time as a student at Azhar to uh, earn some extra money translating portions of Sha'rawi's tafsir, he talks about this, this Alhamdulillah, that of course the Prophet said in dua, Subhanaka la nuhsi, thana'an alayka anta kama athnayta ala nafsik. The Prophet said, praise be to God, for we are incapable of offering praise to God in the manner that he has praised himself. And that if God had relegated to us the space to create our own manner of praising him, each one of us would have praised him in accordance with our capacity, our capability, maybe linguistically, maybe imaginatively, maybe according to what we have, our subjective experience of the divine, but Allah gives us the formula through which to praise and we say Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So Shaykh al-Sha'rawi mentions that the eloquent person says Alhamdulillah. And the person who is not as uh, capable in, in, in their expression says Alhamdulillah. And the person that has a very deep and very thorough understanding of the manifestations of God's praises says Alhamdulillah. And the persons whose understanding, the person whose understanding is more shallow says Alhamdulillah. The purpose of all of this is that we can be unified and united in praising God in a way that we know He likes. Subhanahu wa ta'ala.
He also, he also mentions that this word alhamd, alhamd. He said that, you know, you know that hamd is like thanat, it's like praise. But it's different than thanat and it's different than shukr, right? He says thanat is general. Thanat can be, you know, you know, you can you can offer thanat, that kind of praise uh, for to anyone for anything. He says shukr is usually something that a person does as a recompense for a good that they have received from someone. This is shukr. But hamd, hamd is when something is praised because it in and of itself is worthy of praise, right? And using the ta'arif or the alif lam and alhamd, this is for hasr. This is all praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says that we have to recognize that praise exists in a cycle of praise. That every kind of praise goes back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even if you're praising someone for something that they've done on your behalf, Allah is the one that created them. Allah is the one that gave them the ability to do it on your behalf. And Allah is the one that allowed you to benefit from what they did. So we say, Alhamdulillah for all things, right? You know, it's very common uh, when Muslims encounter each other that we say, how are you? How are things? It's sunnah to say, alhamdulillah, all praises for God. Alhamdulillah, right? Some people add to that, alhamdulillah, ala kulli hal. Praise be to Allah in all situations, right? Then he says, alladhi anzala ala abdihi. The one who revealed, right? The one who revealed this book, revealed revelation to his servant. And, you know, here, and I'm relying heavily on Asha'arawi because I'm very familiar with his work around Surah Al-Kaf. Asha'arawi says that of all the names given to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and the Prophet was referred to with many praiseworthy names, the greatest of them, perhaps, is Al-Abd, is the servant. And the Prophet ﷺ was given the choice by God to be a prophet king or a prophet servant. And the Prophet ﷺ, he voluntarily chose to be a prophet servant because in that servitude, there's elevation. And this is one of the things that makes the service to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala different than the service to anything else. Everything else pales in comparison because in serving Allah, we are elevated. We are elevated, we are raised. The Prophet Wasallam said in an authentic hadith that the believer, she does not come closer to her Lord than in a state of prostration, in a state of sajda, so that when you take the highest part of your anatomy and you lower it and you put it on the ground in a state that some people would regard as obsequious or abject, right? Certain members of the Quraysh, they, 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 they were repulsed by the salah because they didn't like to see somebody of noble stature taking their face and putting it on the ground. But this was their ignorance. They did not know that in that prostration, there is elevation because you're declaring what? I am free of absolute servitude to anything else. See, those who serve God cannot be made to be enthralled. They cannot be enslaved 
to anything else. And in that there is liberation. In that there is elevation. You know, so he mentions that in the Isra and the Mi'raj, of course, we have Surah Al-Isra, which directly precedes Surah Al-Kaf. So Surah Al-Kaf and its arrangement is the 18th chapter. Surah Al-Isra is the 17th chapter. It begins what? He's mentioning that he carried the Prophet Asra bi Abdi. He carried the Prophet وسلم, by night, but the, 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 the name used to address the Prophet وسلم, in this verse is Abd. So when the Prophet is experiencing the greatest experience of both bodily elevation and spiritual elevation and nearness to God, right, that he enters the hadra of his Rabb, the term that is used to refer to the Prophet وسلم, is Abd is abd, is servant. We embrace our servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we declare our freedom from servitude to anything else. And then he mentions also here, it's worth mentioning, subhanAllah, I don't know if we're going to get through more than one ayah. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. He mentions, you know, the kitab. Al-kitab wa lam yaj'allahu iwaja. He revealed to his servant the book. Of course, this refers to the Qur'an. And we have in this ayah the inzal. Anzala ala abdihi al-kitab. He brought down. Right? He brought down. Now, not to get into a complex and often not rewarding theological discussion about where God is. and But suffice it to say that the strongest position in our tradition is that God is not defined by directionality. God is not defined by the cardinal directions. And yet, revelation is always mentioned as descending, coming down. That is an indication to mercy. See, mercy is something that comes down from on high. This is why traditional peoples have always associated rain with mercy, right? It, come, it descends. There's also an indication there that when we want to know about God, we want to know about our purpose, we want to know about from whence we came, we want to know about to that which we're going, we have to depend on mercy to reveal those things to us. No matter how we exhaust ourselves, the intellect does not rise to those heights. Human intelligence does not rise to those truths. The intellect can perceive things that are physical like itself. Right, But the ruh, the soul, the spirit, and this is where revelation deposits itself in our souls. It reveals truths that are imperceptible to the eye, right? inconceivable to the mind, unaided by revelation. And this is an act of mercy. And he also mentions that this revelation, وَلَمْ يَجْعَلَّهُ عِوَجًا he has allowed no crookedness in it. That refers to the preservation of the Qur'an, but also the manner that the Qur'an communicates is very direct. It's not circuitous. It's not unclear. It's not unnecessarily complicated. It's deep, but it's direct. It speaks directly to the heart. You know, that reminds me of 
my first encounter with the Quran, I was a young man, I was still in high school. And the first thing, and I actually had an old copy of the Quran that I was given, uh, and it was in two tones, two volumes. The second volume began with Surah Al-Furqan, right? The 25th uh, chapter of the Quran, uh, thick paper, thick paper. So it had to be in two volumes. It was Yusuf Ali's translation. And I don't know why, but I wanted to start with the second volume and not the first volume. So just reading the opening verses of Surah Al-Furqan, I was struck by the directness of the mode of communication. I said, I don't know anything about this book that I'm holding, but I do know that whoever's voice is represented here is someone that is speaking with complete authority, someone that is not pleading with me begging me to become religious, someone that, yes, is assuring me of his goodwill toward me, assuring me of his mercy, but is speaking with complete authority and should be approached as the Lord of a magnificent throne, right? The Quran does not have any crookedness. You know, it, it reminds me that a, a, a friend of mine talked about giving the Quran as a gift to a non-Muslim colleague. And after reading some of it, he, you know, he, 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 he asked to speak with the Muslim and the Muslim wanted to know, you know, what did you think about the Quran? He said, he didn't say SubhanAllah, right? But that was, I'm, I'm, I'm interpolating when he said, man, whoever is speaking is speaking with complete authority. And just that in and of itself was humbling. That was humbling. And if you think about how God, who is omnipotent, who is all-powerful, who is omniscient, who knows everything, how else should God speak? There's nothing roundabout about it. There's nothing circuitous about it. It must be expressed in a clear, direct way. Sheikh Al-Sha'arawi says, and the shortest distance between two points is always a straight line, mashallah. And the Quran represents the shortest distance between God and our hearts. Right. So for anyone who wants to increase their closeness to Allah, wants to feel more presence in their worship, right, go to the Quran, read the Quran and read the Quran both or listen to the Quran in Arabic, uh, especially if you can find a reciter like half of the Sinan, but also read the Quran in a language that you understand so that you can reflect upon its meanings, so that you can think about the meanings contained in the Quran. أقول كل هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم ولسائر المسلمين وأخرج عمانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين.